Hello everyone, uh, this is Simon today with Midweek Devotions. Uh, it's a time for us to be in God's Word throughout the week and to be doing it together too. Uh, we've been looking at Messianic Psalms, Psalms about Jesus, uh, and today we're going to be looking at Psalm 16 and quite incredibly, perhaps even surprisingly, at Resurrection. Uh, how about we just pray uh, and then we'll read it together and then dive in and have a think. Uh, Father God in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for a chance to be in your word, uh, to think of Jesus uh, and in your spirit to grow in our faith and knowledge of you. Uh, would you be with us and would you help us uh, and would you challenge us as we think about what it means to trust uh, trust in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let's read Psalm 16. Uh, it goes like this. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or to take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. How strong is your trust? How strong is your trust? Are you the kind of person that trusts others easily? Or are you the kind of person that finds it really hard? I'm not really sure if this is the kind of thing that still happens these days, uh, but I remember being at E7 or E8 camp and having to do those trust games, right? Those trust exercises. And the classic one, of course, was that you had to stand with your arms folded over your chest and you had to just sort of fall backwards into the waiting arms of your friend. Uh, you had to believe in them and you had to let yourself fall knowing that they would not ditch you in that moment. Now, uh, thankfully for me, my friend did indeed catch me. Uh, but as I looked around, there certainly were some in the group, some I would call my friends whom I would not have liked to have been paired with that day. Uh, th this is a psalm of David, uh, and it's a psalm of trust, a psalm of trust in God. And not only that, uh, but with uh, how they help him, uh, a psalm of how God helps him as he lives his life and faces all the different challenges that arise. Now, David, of course, was no stranger to stress, uh, to, to pain, to suffering and frustration. Uh, he struggled against deceit and numerous personal plots. Uh, he was no stranger to battle and to warfare and to the burden of being the, a nation's king. Uh, and of course, he was also familiar with sin, uh, with temptation, with falling, uh, with the experience and the guilt, and familiar with the consequences um, of all those things. Uh, and truth be told, even from when he was young, uh, he knew what this was like, what stress and struggle was like. Before he was the psalm-writing king, he was a shepherd, uh, a shepherd who faced off against bears and lions and was tasked uh, with the care of his sheep. Throughout his life, David knew what it was to struggle. And in this psalm, we see the things that he held on to as he endured it. Uh, God is the one he looks to for safety. 
God is his refuge, it says. It is God that David orients his life around. He says that there are no good things other than the Lord. And so David here in this psalm, we see in him a singular devotion to God. A singular devotion to God that speaks of God in exclusive terms. Uh, In verse 4, he says it's foolish to run after other gods. It's something that David personally rejects. He commits his life to avoiding it, to never pouring out libations, making sacrifices or or toasting drinks to other gods. And then verses 5 to 6, we see that God alone is his portion as well. Uh, It's like he has no other good thing, no other possession or, 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 or... or thing that, that is valuable to him, that's worth acknowledging. And that's why as we uh, race through the psalm, really in verses 7 to 8, we see how David relates with God, that he praises him, that he worships him, and that there's a phrase here, I think that really paints a picture for us, that even at night, he says, my heart instructs me. Uh, it's like David is saying that God is so prevalent to what his life is about, that even in the quiet times, even when he is sleeping, perhaps, God is at work and forming him. He's uh, looking to God and his counsel and uh, his glory and goodness. David expresses something about his faith here, of how rich his trust in God is. He's fixing his eyes on the Lord. And because he knows that God is with him, he says that he, uh, he, he will not be shaken by the stresses and pains of the life that he experiences. David trusts God. He trusts and that is being so richly expressed here. Uh, what do you think makes you trust someone? What makes you trust someone? What makes you trust someone to this extent? Uh, well, trust is a function of relationship, isn't it? Uh, our trust depends on what we know and experience of one another. When we are constantly let down by a friend, we stop trusting them. And Similarly, but in reverse, it's, it's those who come through for us, those who are always there for us, those who encourage us and counsel us with wisdom. It's them, those who have demonstrated to us their trustworthiness and who have kept our confidence. It's them, those people whom we put our faith and trust in. It's a little bit like how we tend to trust professionals, uh, why we want to hear from experts and seasoned pros. It's why, conversely, right, why trainees and apprentices, why new graduate, graduates sometimes make us wonder if we're getting what we're paying for. That's why when we're driving along on the road, apart from the impatience that we might feel about driving more slowly than we have to, we try to get out and around and ahead of the L-platers as soon as we can. Maybe in our minds the P-platers are even worse. We do it because we don't trust them. Why should we trust God then? Why should we trust God? And why should we trust God to this extent that we see in the psalm? Well, the psalm gives us a clue, uh, and it's a hint really of the bigger and better things still to come. David alludes, uh, alludes to, he alludes to it throughout the psalm, uh, in verses 2 and in verses 5 and 6 as well. He's, it's that he has an experience of God already, that God is the one who is at work in life, and that there is much good, that there is things to delight in even. It's this idea that God's worthiness to be trusted is already demonstrated. And that trust, that trust is something that we can continue in as well, something that we can continue to be committed to. Because consider how verses, uh, how the psalm ends. Consider in uh, verses 9 to 11. It says, Therefore my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead 
nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God has always been faithful. And because it's God, God and because it's been so good, the trust that can be had with him is an eternal one. It's one that continues. It's one that looks ahead and continues to trust in the future as well. It's a trust that's so rich and so deep that it ought to make us feel safe and secure, even as we consider death and the life that comes after it. Uh, now we've been looking at these Psalms because they point us to Jesus. We said earlier as we began that this Psalm even reveals resurrection. And so how does it do that? How is this a psalm that points us to Christ? Well, the Apostle Peter actually quotes this psalm in his first sermon in the New Testament. Uh, it's the sermon that he gave at Pentecost. Uh, it's in Acts, uh, the reference, I should say, is in Acts chapter 2, verses 31 to 33. Uh, Peter actually connects this psalm to Jesus' resurrection, saying that ultimately it was about him, that God would not abandon Jesus to the realm of the dead. See, Jesus is the perfect example of trust. He himself, he himself faced many pressures, many things that pushed and challenged him, many things that sought to do him harm. Jesus even underwent temptation, and he certainly endured persecution. But on top of that, he also had every reason and every power to not trust, didn't he? In a, in a way, in a manner of speaking, from a certain point of view. That's to say that he could have very easily taken matters into his own hands, and just avoided all the hard things that were in store for him. Even though he could have, and even though in a way he had every right to, well, instead he does something different. He trusts. Instead of doing those things, taking them into his own hands, he trusts. He puts his life on this earth into his father's hands. He trusts the will of God and he continues on in the plans and purposes of his time on the earth. And we see that numerous times in his life, explicitly um, uh, demonstrated, explicitly expressed. Uh, when he's praying, for example, in the Garden of Gethsemane, He's full of anguish and yet also in full agreement. He prays, Father, yet not my will but yours be done. And even as he is dying on the cross, what does he say? He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He trusts. He trusts that all these things that he goes through are for a purpose, that they'll go as planned. He trusts that in his death something bigger is accomplished. That his death is a ransom for many. And that salvation and forgiveness would come as he submits himself to that end. And he trusts, not only that it would all work, he trusts that he would not be left there in that end, in that death. That he would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead. No, he trusts that he will be raised. That there is a resurrection to life and that he would be the one who demonstrates it. Jesus' resurrection is important here. Jesus' resurrection means all sorts of things. It means that he really was sinless, that he was perfect in every way. His resurrection means that he defeated sin and death, 
that it could not hold him down, and, and therefore the forgiveness that he promised was real. His resurrection means that all the promises of God and the gospel, of joy and peace, of hope and happiness, of eternity and fulfillment and the new creation, it means that they're all true and that they're all real. They're things that he can actually give. Resurrection, friends, means that we can trust him, that he did not make empty promises. He did not make false claims. It was not a trap or a trick or something too good to be true. He did it, and he did it first, and also that we could follow and receive it as well. Uh, there really is something remarkable about this psalm, that even before Jesus appeared, the plan all along was for him to die. The plan all along, it was always that he would be raised. And it all points ahead to him and to the gospel that this is how God had planned for the world to be saved. Psalm 16 is fulfilled in Jesus. And as we reflect, we should see that he is both sides of an equation. That Jesus is both the example and the target. Jesus is our example for what it looks like to trust. And he's also the target of our trust. He shows us what it's like to trust God. And at the same time, because he is the one who trusted first, because he was the one who died and then was raised, he is also the one whom we put our trust in. Because he has done it all, because he is both. And so we can be glad and we can rejoice and we can be secure that our trusting in Jesus is good. And that we can go all the way as well, like David, in singular devotion to him too. Well, the truth is, is that we can't really trust anyone like we see in this psalm, can we? So we go throughout life, we can't really trust anyone, we can't really trust anything to this extent. Perhaps an even deeper problem here is that if we reflect and we truly consider what we ourselves are like, we can't even trust ourselves that much. Well, we know our hearts, our feelings, our thoughts, they're incredibly deceptive. And we're more than capable of making those lame excuses and self-justifications uh, as much as anyone else is. Only God is so dependable. Only God is so trustworthy. But only Jesus demonstrates it so unfailingly to us. And so today, as we consider this psalm, we're called to do that, to trust him. Ask yourself today what you really trust in. What is it that gives you security in your life? What is it that you are putting your hope in? What is the stuff that if taken away is going to make you feel like you're nowhere and without any prospects, really insecure and uncomfortable? What are you trusting in, in your life? We all have stuff that we are overly trusting in. We need to repent of those things and their place in our lives. And we need to replace them with Jesus. Maybe that's something that you need to think about and do today. We need to trust Jesus with our lives now, with our everyday coming and going, with whether he gives us or doesn't give us those things that we so ardently desire. We need to trust him that his plans are good, better even than ours. We need to trust him now with the things that we're doing and we need to trust him also with our hope, with our anticipation of eternal life 
and the new creation that is yet to come. That eventually the fallen, broken, death-riddled lives that we experience now would one day be fixed. And that we will see it in our own resurrection to the new creation. That's something that we can believe in because Jesus is resurrected. Because Jesus has overcome. What a truth that is that we can hold on to. And what an incredible reality that we ourselves can look forward to as well. That just as Jesus is not abandoned to the realm of the dead, neither then will we, as we put our trust in him. Let's pray and just give God thanks for that. Um, Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise that you are trustworthy. That that is who you are in person and in character. And that that is something that you demonstrate to us as well. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you go to that cross for us in fulfillment and obedience to the Father's will. And we give you praise that you are worthy of resurrection that you defeat sin and death, and that you proclaim a victory over all that is wrong, over sin itself even, that you forgive us of our sins, and that you give us an escape. And thank you, Lord, that in your resurrection, we also find ours, that we can look forward to a better place and a better hope, a new creation that is whole and perfect and complete in every way. Help us, Lord, to trust you in our lives now, in our lives today, to putting our faith, our trust in you and what you have in store, and not in the things uh, of this earth and of this world. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you convict us of these things? And would you reveal to us those times and those places, those things that we are holding on to too dearly and too closely in our lives that are drawing our gaze and our eyes away from the good and incredible and amazing gospel of Jesus? We pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, Thanks everyone for tuning in uh, to our podcast, to Midweek Devotions this week. Uh, We hope to see you uh, in Sunday service on Sundays, uh, but also next time as we look at our next psalm. See you then, and bye for now.